1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Word of God says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Let's pray. Lord, we appreciate these verses. They challenge us uh, to really uh, take ownership and, and participate in prayer, and not just praying for every man, as we know we should, but here you identify praying for uh, our leaders, our governmental leaders. Uh, And Lord, that's a a challenge, especially in the climate we live in today. Uh, Politics seems so difficult and polarized. Lord, we need to really understand our, our opportunity and the necessity of praying for these folks. And so, Lord, we ask today that you'd give us insight to the scriptures. Pray that you'd help us to see and understand our responsibilities and our privileges in this area. But also through it all, that our faith would guide us and that you would be pleased by our individual actions as we live each day. Lord, if there's one that's not saved under the sound of my voice, I pray that today would be the day where they lay aside their idols and their, their uh, whatever they're trusting in and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior once and for all and be born again. Uh, we know that that is the real answer for the ills of America, the salvation of souls. And so we pray that you would give us insight, change us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I confess that I'm preaching a message to you this morning that I would rather not preach, not because it's not biblical or because it's not necessary, but because there are much more exciting truths in the Bible to preach and to look at. I was actually planning on uh, diving a little bit further into the beautiful doctrine of salvation that we've been covering and, and learning about how deeply and thoroughly we are saved when we trust Christ. But I couldn't get away from this thought the last couple days of of, uh, the Christian and politics. Think about that. The Christian and politics. Our world has taught us that politics and religion don't go together. Uh, They have taught us and and pounded that into our heads uh, so many times. I mean, from the time you're old enough to pay attention Politics and religion don't go together. But I thought, well, you know, what does the Bible say about this? Do I, as a Christian, have any responsibility to participate in politics? What does the Bible say? Uh, And I believe when we study the Bible, God has some things to say about it. You know, politics is one of those things that some people love it and some people hate it. Amen? I mean, there's people in here. You hear me say politics, you're like, oh, please no. Please. I hear it. I see the signs. I can't get away from it. Now I come to church and it found me. I can't get away. And others of you are like, oh, yeah. I mean, you've watched, you've watched so much news in the last 24 hours that you're like ready to run for president yourself. I mean, you know all the issues. You know who's running for who and what district. I mean, uh, some, some people are way too into politics, and you know who you are. 
right? Uh, you're driving your family nuts with it. You're driving your friends nuts with it. I mean, it's all you talk about. Somebody says, boy, this, this, this spaghetti is good. Yes, and you know who else likes spaghetti? So-and-so likes spaghetti. You know, and you turn, just turn everything to politics and everything. Well, if so-and-so gets in, tomatoes are going to be taxed, you know, and it's like, look, I just want to eat spaghetti. And then there's other people on the other side of that that the truth is you're totally disengaged with politics. I mean, you don't know who's running for what. You don't know what they stand for, and you couldn't care less. And I, I want to sh- show you in the scriptures, as we study the scripture this morning, that there is a balance between those two. I don't believe that a Christian should be so involved into politics that it overrides their Christianity. Neither do I believe that a Christian should be so uninvolved that they're not participating. There has to be a balance. Pericles was a Greek statesman. He lived from 495 B.C. to 425 B.C. And he said this, Just because you do not take an interest in politics doesn't mean politics won't take an interest in you. Isn't that an interesting thought? The laws passed affect us even when we aren't paying attention to the process. And I think one of the problems we're in today, and people are waking up saying, what's going on in our country, is partially a result of so many good people not participating in the process at all. And we never thought it would get this way. We never thought that these things could happen. We never thought that people would be in Congress or the Senate or running for president that could even say these things. How is this even possible? And yet here we are. And politics takes an interest in us whether we take an interest in it or not. Another thought is big city politics eventually filter down to the small towns. It's just a fact of life. Whatever's going on in New York City, whatever's going on in California, they set the stage and they create precedents that eventually filter down to each and every one of us. Why should that matter to us? Because I want to live my life without government interference. Amen? We just want to be left alone to serve God and to live however God tells us to. So each member of society should at least pay enough attention to politics to protect our freedoms and liberties. And so in this Bible message, I want to investigate what the Bible has to say about Christians and politics. And I'm really praying that God will give us understanding to find a balance that is pleasing to him. Now, please don't turn me off. Please don't say, oh, man, I don't want to hear this because... This is a message that I don't want to preach, and you may not want to hear, but I need to preach it, and everybody needs to hear it. And so we just need to look at the Scripture to find out what the Bible says. And so I want to just give you five quick things this morning uh, that are the Christian's responsibility to politics. And we find our first one in our text verse, number one, pray for leaders. So the Christian's responsibility is to pray for their leaders. I look back at our text. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. You'd agree with that, wouldn't you? Now, God could have just stopped there. 
Did you know that all men includes kings and governmental leaders? But why did God go on to specifically say for kings and for all that are in authority? He went on to specify that because he wants to emphasize that we need to specifically be praying for the people that are in leadership. And if we're not praying for the people that are in leadership, we're really missing an important responsibility uh, that, that, that belongs to us as Christians. Did you know lost people aren't praying for people in, in leadership? They're not praying for them. Uh, atheists and agnostics and, and God-haters and, and people of, of different kinds of, of uh, religions, they're not necessarily praying for God to protect and to take care of and give wisdom and help them be saved. The only people that are going to pray for the people in authority are Christians. And so God says, you Christians, I need you to understand that this is your responsibility to pray for these people. Now, let me ask you a rhetorical question. Just answer it to yourself. How much time did you spend this week praying for governmental leaders? I just want you to answer it to yourself. In five minutes, two minutes, ten minutes, an hour? I guarantee you that the average Christian spent more time this week complaining about America than praying for America. And complaining doesn't change much. Praying changes things. Amen? Prayer alters people and changes circumstances. And and here's the reason why we should pray for them, as found in this verse. Government leaders have a real impact in how we live every day. If you think about it, the government leaders are empowered to create laws, to interpret laws, and to enforce the laws of the land. And if we hope to live a pleasant life, we must have leaders that allow us to live a pleasant life. Look back at the verse 2 here. For kings and for all that are in authority, why should we pray for them? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Doesn't that sound good? A quiet and peaceable life. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? Translation, that government leaves you alone. And we need to be praying for our leaders So they perform the function they were created to do, but leave us alone in the process. In verse 2, the word quiet means tranquil. And the word peaceable means undisturbed. This is the best hope for the citizens of any nation. That we can be left alone to live a tranquil, tranquil and undisturbed life. The more a government gets involved in the individual lives of its citizens, the more difficult it is on those citizens. That's not a political statement. That's a historical fact. We must pray that the government will do their job, stay in their lane, and leave citizens alone to live peaceably. 
Now, this is especially important for the Christians. Every citizen should want to live a quiet and peaceable life. But the Bible goes on here in verse 2 to say, in all godliness and honesty. The Christian hopes for two more freedoms in the nation. We want to be able to live a godly life, a righteous life according to the Bible. And when tyrants and wicked people take control of governments, inevitably they begin outlawing the righteousness of God. Look at every tyrant in history. Look at every socialist country, every communist country. They have to begin legislating the Bible and faith out of daily life because Christianity is a roadblock to statism. And as I've said many times, a Christian truly only fears God. So there's a a part of a Christian that a government can never take. They can take your lands, they can take your money, they can put you in jail, but they can never have your heart that already belongs to Jesus. That fact alone means you are an enemy of a tyrannical government. Already in our country, we've seen laws telling Christians what they can and can't do. Now, with the thought police and and political correctness movement, you are being told what you can and can't think. Do you know in Canada, they already have laws saying that you're not allowed to think a certain way as shown by your speech or your actions? You can be punished in many countries for what you believe. And that's one thing that's always made America so different. But today in America, we see those freedoms eroding as government gets more powerful and more and more godless people are placed into government positions. The freedoms of the Christian are shrinking. Don't say that. Don't think that. You can't do this. You better do this. You better not do this. And government gets more and more involved. And the idea is, Christian, go to your house, believe whatever you want in your house, and keep your mouth shut everywhere else. And the more Christians do that, the faster a nation spirals to destruction. See, this verse is very powerful, teaching us to pray for our leaders because they have real power to affect our daily lives. And we should pray that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. The 40th president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, said this, quote, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And Ronald Reagan was known for his quips and his, his uh, uh, sharp tongue and his, his comebacks. Uh, but boy, for example, how many of you want to get a letter from the IRS?
You just hope they don't even notice you. Pay your taxes. Go about your life. But if you get a letter saying, we'd like to help you straighten out this thing, you're in trouble. Ungodly governments routinely overstep the bounds of their creation and involve themselves in the daily lives of citizens. Furthermore, faithless rulers, I'm talking about ungodly, faithless rulers, believe that government should take the place of God. And I want you to really understand this point. Because this is part of the polarization you see in America today. If you don't believe in God, that that vacuum exists in your heart. So now who's going to take care of you? Who's going to provide you shelter? Who's going to give you clothes? Who's going to give you a job? Who's going to make sure you eat? Who's going to make sure you're protected? Who's going to make sure who's going to make sure you make the best decisions for you? Because you don't always know what you're doing. The Christian says God's going to do all that. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter six, he told us not to take thought for our clothing, not to take thought of of where we're going to live. And God provides shelter and and clothing and, and our daily needs and seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. It's God that protects us. It's God that provides for us. That's the function of God. But an ungodly government and and faithless politicians believe that all those responsibilities fall on the government because there is no God. We have to make sure everybody eats. We have to make sure everybody has a place to live. We have to make sure everybody has enough money. And so if we have to take from those that have and give to those that haven't, I mean, that's our job because we have to do this. And we believe strongly as Christians that government should never try to take the place of God. A cradle-to-the-grave political approach involves the government in every aspect of life from the womb to the tomb. So they decide who gets to live and die in the womb. They decide when and where you get to die when you're old. They decide what your kids eat for lunch. They decide what you can and can't say. They decide. And all of that goes back to, I'm drawing a line because these are not just political preferences, folks. These are lines of those who believe in what God is supposed to do and those who believe in what government is supposed to do. Now, how do we stop this intrusion? Well, first, the Bible says we've got to pray. And I already asked you, how much did you pray for leaders this week and our government leaders? And I would probably have to say that most of us would answer not enough. Not enough. And so uh, we need to pray for our leaders to get saved. Think about that. The number one prayer for our leaders is to get saved. You know, if they just get born again, a lot of these problems will be solved. We need to pray for our leaders to get saved. And, and the leaders that you know about, you ought to be aware of those in, in state and local and federal government. We need to pray that they get saved. We need to pray that they would know the scriptures. Do you know that good people with the wrong information make wrong decisions? And there's a story in the Old Testament about a good king. He had a good heart, but the word of God was so lost. He didn't even know what the word of God said. They were cleaning out the temple. He said the temple was in disrepair. Nobody was even, uh, the temple wasn't functioning as it should so he had people go in there, clean up the temple. He wanted to 
respect God and get the temple cleaned out. And while they were in the temple, they found a copy of the law of God. Now think about this. They were so departed from God, they didn't even know where a copy of the law was. Nobody had it. And they found this book of the law and they brought it to the king and they began reading it. And as the king listened to the the word of God being read, he said, man, we're in trouble. We need to change some things. And one of the prayers for our leaders should be that they know the scriptures. They need to know what God said and take it seriously. We need to pray that they would follow Christ. There are good Christian people in governments all over America. And it's encouraging to hear them talk. But what you find is usually their voices are drowned out by the ungodly. And they will tell you, they will tell you the the spiritual fights and the wickedness that goes on behind the scenes. We need to pray for those who are trying to make a difference and who do know Christ to stay strong and not be corrupted and to be given a voice to fight for what's right. We need to pray for our leaders to make wise choices. Who would have thought six months ago that America would be shut down? Who would have thought that after the science shows the virus isn't as bad as anybody thought it was going to be, that we're still shut down? New York and California are still pretty much shut down. I've got family in California. They're, They're still pretty much shut down. The government of Los Angeles said we're going to stay shut down until there's a cure for the virus. Here's the second largest city in America saying you're basically on house arrest and everything is shut until there's a cure. I don't know if you know this, but there's still not a cure for the common cold. How do these things happen? We need to be praying for people. Amen. We need to be praying for them. We need to pray for politicians to understand the consequences of their actions. It's easy to sit in a room far away from the people and begin making decisions that they're not even connected to the effects of. We need to pray they understand the consequences. We need to pray they follow the Constitution. To serve in the American government, you have to uh, basically identify with the Constitution, yet so many people spend all their time undermining and fighting against the Constitution. We need to pray that they stay in their lane, that they fight temptation, that they legislate righteously, that they protect our God-given freedoms. We have a lot to pray about, folks. And I mean, we're not, these aren't just federal things. I mean, not just the Congress and the senators and the president and his cabinet and the Supreme Court and all that. But what about our governor? Uh, what about their, the governor's advisors? What about uh, our, our local uh, town and, and state people? What about our town council here in, in South Kingstown or the community that you live in? What about the local judges? See, there's so much to pray for, and we spend so little time praying for our governmental leaders that it's convicting so we need to put these people on our prayer list we need to pray for federal state and local officials and judges regularly so would you think about that would you get a list of the people that are affecting our lives and begin praying for them regularly so what's our responsibility number one pray for leaders number two participate in politics now look at first timothy chapter two First, excuse me, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter 2. The Christian in politics, we should participate in politics. I've had a lot of people 
not a lot, but several people ask me, you know, during this election cycle, I, I feel like I need to be more involved than, than usual. Is, is that okay? Is, is that a right thing to think? And I'll usually say, you need to be involved in some measure in politics. I don't think it's right to be over-involved. I don't think it's right to be uh, not involved at all. I think that there is a balance. Uh, many years ago, we had something called the moral majority in America, and we had preachers leaving pulpits to get involved in politics. And there was a movement in America where they really thought, we're going to make America a righteous nation by getting so many godly people in politics that it's going to change America. And it, it helped for a little while, but my friend, it's always a step down if you stop doing God's work and focus 100% on, on the, what the world's doing. That's always a step down. And every one of us need to find a balance between taking care of our responsibilities in this life while we're honoring God and taking care of our Christian responsibilities. But here's a, a verse for us that's important to understand. 1 Peter chapter 2, and look at verse 17. Honor all men. Now, the word honor there means to show respect to. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. And, of course, we should always love our brothers. If anybody's a Christian, we should love them, even if we don't agree with them all the time, even if we cannot promote the, the various things they believe. We can't partner with them in those things. We ought to love them because they're a part of the family. And then we see fear God. Now, notice that you're supposed to honor men, but you're supposed to fear God. You should never fear man. Here's what a lot of people do. We, we honor God and fear man. And that's the opposite. We need to honor man and fear God uh, and put God first. I fear him. It's a reverential love and respect. I'm afraid to disappoint him, but I'm also afraid to cross him. But then notice what it says, honor the king. It's supposed to show honor to those in governmental leadership. Now, once again, God chose to single out governmental leaders in this verse. When he said, honor all men, does that include kings? Of course it does. But he went a step further and said, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, why? Because God, God is pointing out the fact that we have a responsibility politically as a Christian, that we should honor those in authority. Now, here's a, an important fact for us to know. We must honor the position of dishonorable men. There have been presidents in my lifetime that I had very little personal respect for. but I honored the position. Because the position doesn't mean I don't disagree with them, doesn't mean I, I can't uh, let my, my thoughts be known and preach the word of God, but I honor the position. So we have to honor the position of even ungodly people, just like if you have a mom that's not what she's supposed to be, you're supposed to honor her as your mom. If you have a dad that's not what he's supposed to be, you're supposed to honor the position of dad. This is a concept all throughout the scriptures. The position deserves honor. So we have to honor the position of dishonorable men, but it's far better 
to have honorable men as our leaders. Right? It's far better to have someone worthy of respect who we can not only respect the position, but we can also respect the person. And this is an important distinction. And think about this thought. In America, we enjoy the privilege to choose our own leaders. Did you know most people in the world don't get that privilege? Did you know most people who've ever lived on the face of the earth did not get to choose their governmental leaders? But you and I do. And understanding that fact, we should at least participate in the process. Now, unfortunately, in many areas of our country today, the masses choose the basest of us as leaders. Why is it that the worst guys and the worst girls sometimes get in politics? Why is it that people keep voting them in after you know they're crooked, after you know they don't do what they say? After you know they're pretty much in it for themselves. They win year after year after year after year after year. And I'll just be honest with you. I would rather have a farmer with common sense decide the affairs of America than a glad-handed con man who spent his whole life promoting himself and protecting his power. But see, in America, we're starting to really see the fruit of picking terrible people to lead us. Whose fault is that? You say, well, it's those people over there. Yeah, but did you vote? Well, I don't vote because my vote doesn't matter. Then you pretty much voted for the other guy. Let, Let me share a couple things with you. William Penn was the founder of the province of Pennsylvania, originally, eventually became the state of Pennsylvania. William Penn said, Providence, and that's the old English term for God, has given our people the choice of their rulers. And it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of a Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Here's a thought. I would much prefer a Christian to rule than an ungodly person with no moral scruples. But see, you've been taught your whole life, oh, we can't, oh, you, you can't even say that. I mean, Christians rule. I mean, that's, that's, we, can't have a gov- we can't have a religious litmus test. I do. Let me share a few more things with you. Too often, a slick salesman or a well-funded com- a con man gets voted into office. And Americans must have enough common sense to elect honorable, trustworthy, and godly people. We see that in these areas around the country. California, folks, is in an absolute mess. And I don't say that as a political statement. I mean, you look at every criteria, whether it's their finances, it's how their countries run, it's their laws. Look at New York City. Look at Los Angeles. Look at Chicago. Look at Illinois. Look at some of these other states. But they keep electing people making foolish decisions. Why is that? We have to have enough wisdom to choose leaders wise enough to lead. That's why I believe every Christian should vote in every election. It also means that sometimes Christians need to run for office. 
you know, there's nothing wrong if somebody in this room, you've got some common sense, you're a Christian, and God starts leading you to, you know, maybe you should run for town council. Maybe you should run for the school board. Maybe you should run for this or that. You know, we can complain about the people and they're making bad decisions all the time, but unless good people run, who do we have to vote for? Now, I'm not going to stop being the pastor to go be the town manager of South Kingstown, although I think I would do a fairly good job. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't want that job. I believe that I'm doing what God's called me to do, and I don't want to step down to do something else. But at the same time, we need businessmen and normal, everyday people to say, I'm going to take a stake in what's going on. You say, well, I don't have the money. I don't have the prestige. I don't have this or that. Well, maybe if God wanted you to win, you could. And so we have to keep these things in mind. You know Plato. He was an Athenian philosopher who lived during the Greek classical period. Think about this quote he said. One of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors. When good people say, I'm not going to be involved in the process, that results in bad people governing. So I want you to think about these four steps of how we can participate in government. Number one, pay attention. Now again, I've said some people get too much caught up in it. I'm not promoting that at all. Neither am I promoting that you're so involved in it that you can't sleep at night because you're afraid of what's going on in the country. I think there's a balance between you know what's going on, you know what to do, but you can lay your head on your pillow and know God's in control. You can go to work tomorrow and not be fretting all day because you know ultimately God's in control. And the truth is, whoever's in the White House doesn't change my personal responsibilities to God at all. Whoever's the governor of Rhode Island doesn't change my personal responsibilities at all. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to try to do what I should do. But it sure makes it easier if there's good people in government. Amen. That's what our text verse said. So we need to pay attention. Don't get so involved. Don't let it consume you. But don't be so discouraged that you block it out of your life completely. Number two, speak up. I believe our country suffers today because good people were silent in the past. God expects Christians to be the moral conscience of the nation. Look at Matthew chapter 5. We doing okay? I'd rather be preaching something else, but this needs to be said. Two people like it. Thank you. The rest of you want to have a recall vote. Get this guy out of here. People need to hear this. Christians are expected to be the conscience of a nation. Silence of the righteous emboldens the speech of the wicked. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. Familiar verse, but one that we need to apply here. Ye are the salt of the earth. These are the disciples of Christ. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing and to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. So the Bible says that Christians are the salt of the earth. Now salt flavors and preserves. So remember back before refrigeration, they would salt cure meat and you could carry meat around and you didn't have to refrigerate it. Christians are the preservative in the community. 
We are the moral conscience that keeps things from devolving too bad because a Christian's willing to say, hey, that's wrong, or we don't believe that, or hey, that's wicked, or no, that's not right. But what if the salt has lost its savor? What if salt loses its flavor? The Bible says it's good for nothing. And literally that what they would do is take salt that had been used and they would throw it in their walkways to pack down the dirt and also to keep weeds from growing in their walkways. And men would literally walk on salt all day. And so the, the application here is when Christians stop being the salt, we lose our power, we get cast to the side, and society walks all over us. And right now, Christians are being walked all over. Oh yeah, Christian, shut your mouth. Christian, you can't believe that. Christian, don't tell me what the Bible says. Christian, go home and be quiet. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. And Christians today are like, well, I, I don't want to speak up because people will be mean to me and, and I'll get, I'll get uh, bad things said on me at Twitter. I'll get unfriended on Facebook or I might get an article read about me or, or written about me or, or people might think people may not like me. Then you've lost your savor. And I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not talking about being cruel. I'm not talking about being unkind or unchristian, but I'm talking about speaking the truth in love. All right, look at verse 14, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that ye may see, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we're not just the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world. And the light makes the darkness flee. The light reveals the wickedness that hides in the shadows. Now, wicked people don't like the light because it exposes their evil deeds. But Jesus said, don't put a bushel over your light. Don't hide your light. Set your light on a candlestick and let people see me. But how many Christians today we put our, oh, I'm saved, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm saved. I don't believe with what's going on. I don't agree with it, but I'm not going to tell anybody. Oh, folks, the world just goes faster and faster down the tubes when Christians who are the light hide their light. Never allow political correctness or cancel culture to stop you from speaking the truth in love. That's our function. So how do we participate in politics? We, we pay attention. We speak up. I'll say number three, pay taxes. Don't look at it for time's sake, but Luke chapter 20, verses 22 through 25, they asked Jesus if it's lawful to give tribute to Caesar. Jesus said, who's got a penny? And they, they, they pulled out a coin and said, whose image is on it? They said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and give to God that which is God's. Amen. And I believe what, what God's saying here is that don't use your Christian energy and effort to fight paying taxes. There's so many, there's so many bigger battles that need to be fought but don't waste your time and energy over that americans are overtaxed and underserved in many areas of the country that's just true and if certain people get in office you're going to pay a whole lot more i believe it was bernie sanders that said he didn't see anything wrong with taking up to 90 percent of a person's income because the government would pay for everything else 
if they're providing insurance and they're providing housing and they're providing food and they're providing everything else, you can live off 10% after everything the government gives you. It's like, what? Already, if you add up every tax you pay, I'm talking about your personal tax, payroll tax, state tax, local tax, property taxes, the average person works half a year to pay their taxes. In Canada, it's almost nine months. They work till September just to pay their taxes. Now, you don't see it all come out at once, so it's like, you know, just nickel and dime you to death. But see, the, the, the remedy of that is not to somehow say, I'm not going to pay taxes. They'll just throw you in jail. The remedy of that is spread the news, go to the polls, and vote people in that think your money belongs to you. There's a thought. Always to God. But we shouldn't fight that battle. There's so many other battles to fight. And then let me say, last under this, what should we do to participate in elections? Vote in every election. I think every Christian should vote in every election. Why? Because the election is an opportunity to choose your faith. It's an opportunity to say, I want to have a hand in choosing my faith. You say, preacher, you don't understand. My vote doesn't count. I never get the person I want. I think there are still good reasons to vote, and I believe that that is a trick of, of evil to keep you from voting in the first place. Can I just be honest with you? I'm done with all the polls. I don't believe polls anymore. They say, oh, the poll this, this person's up, this person's down, this person's up, this person's down. When you look into the polls and how they sample those things, they can make a poll say anything they want. And they will actually fiddle with the polls to try to make people stay home because they say, well, my vote's not going to count anyway. He's probably going to win. He's probably going to lose. How about you just vote? Right? You just vote. Why should we vote? Let me give you a couple quotes. Thomas Jefferson said, we do not have a government by the majority. We have a government by the majority who participate. Think about that. It's not all Americans that decide the fate of America. It's the people who are involved in the process decide the fate of America. For example, in the past, we've, we'll have business meetings here at the church, and we'll have a business meeting, we'll talk about things, we'll vote on things, and someone will come and say, well, I don't think you should have done that. And I'll say, well, we had a business meeting. You could have come, and, and we could have talked about it. We had a men's meeting. You didn't come to that. We had a business meeting. You didn't come to that. But you want to complain about what happened. You know, you have to be involved in the process. And the same thing with America. Don't spend the next four years complaining and griping whenever you didn't take 30 minutes to go to the polls. Right? And I'm going to show you why this is a spiritual. This is not political speech. This is a spiritual truth, and I'll, I'll show you why here at the end. Abraham Lincoln said the ballot is stronger than the bullet. Dwight Eisenhower stated the future of this republic is in the hands of the American voter. Samuel Adams said this, let each citizen remember at the moment he is offering his vote that he is executing one of the most solemn trusts in human society for which he is accountable to God and to his country. You know the founding fathers weren't Christians or anything. 
There's no godly heritage in our nation. You only believe that if you don't read. But this man said it's a sacred duty and you're accountable to God and to your country. Bad things happen when good people don't vote. One man said bad officials are elected by good citizens who don't vote. And I think every vote counts. Even if you live in a state where most people vote the opposite of you, don't be discouraged. Listen, I live in a state, and I know most of the things I vote for are going to lose. Right? But why should we still vote? Well, we vote because it's a privilege. We vote because it's a right. We vote because most people who've ever lived on the planet didn't get that privilege. And we vote because ultimately every vote matters. Let me give you a truth that that you need to know, but I don't want to get too deeply in the weeds. We're talking about the Christian and politics. Uh, Our founders wisely gave us something called the Electoral College. And that, that system distributes the power of federal elections to every state. That means Wyoming gets a say in what happens in America. Nebraska gets a say in what happens in America. Rhode Island, the smallest state, gets a say in what happens in America. And if you've paid attention, there's a movement to do away with the Electoral College. They talk about it all the time. Oh, let's get away. You know, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. She should be president. This Electoral College thing, we've got to get rid of it. There's a reason the founders gave us the Electoral College. And that is because if you go to a popular vote, you empower the biggest cities and the biggest states to make decisions for the rest of the country. And the founders wanted every state to have a say in what goes on in the nation. It's also true that the biggest states and the biggest cities are well known for their ungodliness. Right? So that means the ungodliest of Americans would make all the federal decisions in elections. Well, there's no sinister hand at work there, is there? Let me give you a couple other thoughts. I think that as people are getting hyper-politicized, we need to protect the sanctity of our vote. Politicians are always trying to game the system. Let me give you a couple things to be wary of. Certain politicians want to allow illegal immigrants to vote. Folks, if you're not a legal resident, how can you be allowed to vote? You say, you can't say that, that's racism. It's common sense. Do you want me coming to your home and and have a say in what happens in your home? Well, you don't live there. Yeah, but I'm here, I'm eating here. You don't live here, get out of here. If it's good in your home, it's good for the country. If it's not good for your home, it's not good for the country. Same thing goes with with immigration. Inviting someone to live in your home is different than someone just being able to walk in and you not being able to make them leave. Once again, if it doesn't work in your home, it's probably not a good idea for the country. We overcomplicate these things. They, They try to get the U.S. territories voting rights to add new constituents. And there's good reasons why U.S. territories like Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands aren't allowed to vote. They don't have the responsibilities nor the privileges of statehood. But these are things they try. 
uh, changing voting districts. You hear about that every year. They'll, they'll actually try to change the, the lines of the voting districts to make sure certain people can stay in power depending on how populations are moving. And I want you to pay special attention to this. They try to alter the voting process. And I just want to make a common sense statement here. There's nothing wrong, and I think the best way is to go in person and cast your ballot. Let me say this. I am not for the total digitization of voting. One of these days, you watch it, they're going to try to make it where you can vote on your phone. Should we trust big tech companies who have an obvious bias in politics to handle the votes of Americans? No. But now, they've talked about digitization the last few years, but now in this coronavirus, they're talking about mass mail-outs. And let me just make a distinction here. I know this is a hot-button topic, but you just need to apply a little common sense. An absentee ballot, ballot is whenever you request a ballot be sent to your home. They verify your name and address, and you get one ballot. What they're talking about doing in America today is mass mailing 80 million ballots to everybody on the rolls. How many people, I mean, honestly, think it's a good idea to have 80 million ballots out there floating around? And what used to be, we were concerned about the integrity of our elections going to the booth, making sure you were registered, casting your vote. Now we've, we've introduced so many points of failure to a system where we're, we lose the chain of, of where these ballots are, who has them, who signed them, who brings them in, and then we're trusting the post office to deliver them, the people to count them, the, 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 the people to get the numbers in on time. And you watch this, they're already telling you that you're probably not going to know who's elected president on the day of the election. They're already telling you that it could take weeks or longer. Who thinks that's a good idea? And here's something you may not know. If they cannot, if the elections committee cannot pronounce who is president on January 20th at noon, do you know who becomes the president of the United States? The Speaker of the House. How many of you think that's a great idea? I would be moving to Canada or digging a hole or, or something or asking her for some of that special ice cream or whatever. All I'm saying, folks, is when you're not aware of these things, you say, oh, yeah, mail-in ballot, oh, yeah, big deal, oh, yeah, big deal, I'm not going to vote anyway. You're just basically handing control of your future to the basest of men. And we can't let it happen. Here's a, and I'll say this lastly, here's another triumph of Satan in American politics. Americans are taught to leave their religion outside the voting booth. How many of you have ever heard this? Well, personally, I think this is wrong, but I leave my religion outside the voting booth and I vote with... How can you separate the most important part of you, which is God, from one of your sacred duties as a citizen? Matter of fact, they've taught churches not to preach messages like this. There's probably someone listening saying, oh, no, Pastor Chapman's overstepped. 
the government's going to fly in in black SUVs and take away their tax-exempt status and all of these things. I've had people tell me over the years preaching a message not even nearly like this. I mean, just mentioning politics, they'll say, oh, pastor, you can't mention politics. There's laws against that. You, you can't mention. And I thought, boy, they've done their job well, haven't they? Muzzling the moral conscience of a nation, teaching them, you don't get a say in our elections. And Christians have fallen for it. The truth is, Andrew, or excuse me, Lyndon B. Johnson was a wicked politician. He's actually from the state of Texas. And he's legendary for his crudeness and wickedness. I mean, I can't even tell you things that he did that are common knowledge. Just legendary. He was a senator from the state of Texas, which was also known for the amount of churches and Christians that lived there. And many people believe that he postulated that in order to further his political career, he would have to silence the moral people who knew he was so wicked. So as a senator from the state of Texas, he introduced the the, what became known as the Johnson Amendment, and that said that nonprofits, including churches, could not endorse or oppose a political candidate. And if you did so, you could lose your tax exempt status. Basically, churches could not say, vote for so and so, don't vote for so and so. But as the government always does, they began to overreach and they taught churches that you can't say anything about elections which is totally wrong. Churches do have a voice. Matter of fact, just a couple of years ago, I think it was several thousand churches uh, wrote, the, wrote the government saying we're preaching on politics on a certain Sunday, and they preached a political sermon, and then they mailed it to the government, basically daring them to try to enforce the Johnson Amendment. And the political will wasn't there to do it. But I guarantee you, one of these days, there's going to be a wicked politician or a politician wicked enough who's going to absolutely do that. Absolutely. President Trump, through an executive order, kind of took the teeth from the Johnson Amendment, telling churches that they ought to be more involved. But I would, pre- I would preach this message either way. We're not holding a political convention. I'm not promoting a specific candidate. I'm promoting Christianity. I'm promoting common sense. I'm promoting the responsibility of Bible-believing Christians to get involved. I say this lastly. We all know that politics aren't the hope for America. The only hope for America is the salvation of souls. And so I've got a couple more things here, but I'll just end with this. The responsibility of a Christian in politics is pray for our leaders, participate in politics, preach the gospel to every creature. You can go out to people and they believe a certain way and you're never going to change their mind. They've been taught from the time they were kids. They've they've been taught 12 to to 20 years in in, in school and college to believe a certain way. When President Trump was elected, they had fifth and sixth graders out of school protesting. How many of you believe the average sixth grader hated Trump so much that he's out there protesting in the streets, demanding to be released from school, making their own plaques? We must speak out. Or how many of you believe it was the teachers saying, this is terrible. 
you kids have to do something. And hey, at that age, I'll take a day off school. The hope for America is the, the salvation found only in Jesus Christ. We must see people saved. So while you should speak up, don't get in deep arguments with people about their politics. Change the conversation into their, their greatest need. And that is salvation. Because the wisdom from above only comes through a regenerated heart. And we've got to get more people saved. That's the hope for America. Let's bow. Father, thank you for the truth. Thank you for teaching us these things. And Lord, I, I fear that some's going to take this as just a political message. And, and you know my heart that it's not. We just have to have common sense. We have to know our Bible responsibilities to be involved. We have to speak up and not be muzzled. And Lord, you know I'd much rather lift you up in the message that I wanted to preach today about how beautiful and deep your salvation is, but I sensed you wanted me to preach this message, and I just pray that it be received in the, in the spirit in which it's given. And that, Lord, you'd help encourage our people, encourage Christians all over our land. Help us to know our responsibilities, to pray for our leaders, to participate in politics, to preach the gospel, to do whatever we can to spread far and wide the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, help us to have a life, protect our freedoms in America so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Thank you for the freedoms we've had up until this point. I pray that you'd protect them and, and preserve them. But, Lord, if we have to fight, if I don't mean fight with guns and, and sticks and stones, but I mean just stand up and be counted. If we have to stand up and stand against wickedness, Lord, I pray that we'd have the will and the resolve to do so in your power and the courage. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that's listening to this, not sure they're saved, that today would be the day they make sure of their salvation. Thankful for the day I got saved. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I wonder if the Lord spoke to your heart. If you're not sure you're saved, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Regardless of who's in the White House or the governor's mansion, your responsibilities before God never change. Don't go to hell. Trust Jesus. A Christian friend, if you're born again, don't put your head in the sand. Don't pretend like these things don't matter. Don't, don't pretend like they're so far away they're never going to touch you. Don't be consumed by it. Don't be discouraged by it. But at the same time, don't run from it. Participate. Do what you can, but ultimately, trust God through it all. Let's stand.